Yolanda's eyes followed the trail of blood leading through the grass across the parking lot. She trained her gun on the figure stumbling toward the motel lobby. She could end it all right now. She lowered the gun. She didn't want to kill Selena. She wanted her to suffer. Yolanda took one last look as Selena slammed into the lobby's glass door. It was a pull, not a push. Serves her right. Yolanda called out, bitch. She turned around and walked coolly back to room 158. She was calm, collected. For once, she was in control. She opened her purse, cell phone, keys, $1,810 in cash, a bottle of Xanax, a resignation letter never signed, and five extra bullets just in case. She grabbed the keys and cell phone. The rest, she tucked inside the safe in the closet. Where she was going, she wouldn't be needing them. The four bullets left in her revolver should be more than enough. One death can change the world. At least that's what assassins believe. Every week, we examine the famous assassins of history and the men and women who were assassinated. Welcome to Assassinations on the ParCast Network. I'm your host, Bill Thomas. And I'm your host, Kate Leonard. This is our second episode on Selena Quintanilla, who was shot to death by her assistant and fan club president, Yolanda Saldivar. If you like the show, you can subscribe on your favorite podcast directory. A new episode comes out every Monday. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Parcast, on Twitter at Parcast Network, and at Parcast.com. It takes two to make an assassination, an assassin and a target. Last week, we followed the events leading up to Selena's murder on March 31, 1995. In this episode, we'll look at the aftermath of the shooting, Yolanda Saldivar's sensational trial, and how the world today might be different if Selena's life hadn't ended so soon. March 31, 1995, 11.49 a.m. Selena Quintanilla had just collapsed on the floor of a Days Inn lobby in Corpus Christi, Texas. Blood flowed out of the bullet wound in her back and pooled on the tile floor. The receptionist, Shauna Vela, called 911. She told the dispatcher a woman had been shot. She looked about 20 years old. Two other employees rushed over and tried to stop the bleeding, but it was too late. Selena was already losing consciousness. Selena's father had warned her not to be too trusting, but she'd always tried to see the best in people, and now she had been shot in the back by her most loyal friend. She was still clutching the ring Yolanda had given her three months ago. She'd torn it off her finger in an act of vengeance, but she'd been so shocked by the bullet, she forgot to let go of it. Shauna Vela was still on the phone with the 911 dispatcher. She kneeled down next to the bleeding woman and asked who had shot her. Selena gasped out, Yolanda, room 158. 
Then she closed her eyes and went limp. Vela ran back to the front desk and pulled out the file for room 158, Yolanda Saldivar. At that moment, Yolanda calmly walked out the bloodstained door of room 158, past the long red trail leading through the parking lot, and got in her pickup truck. As she sat at the wheel, she finally began to grasp what she had done. She loved Selena. She dedicated her entire life to her. And now it was all over. Whether Selena lived or died, there was no way to undo what she had just done. She started the engine and let it idle. Where could she go from here? An ambulance arrived at the motel in just under two minutes. The paramedics tore through Selena's blood-soaked green sweatshirt and tried to apply gauze, but her entire body was already covered in a thick pool of blood. They couldn't find a pulse. The police were just behind the paramedics. They'd heard over the dispatch that the suspect had gotten into a red pickup truck and she may be armed. Sergeant Bernardo Torres pulled up near the lobby. He checked in with the paramedics. They were trying to resuscitate Selena, but she'd lost so much blood that her veins were nearly empty. As soon as they got her heart beating again, they rushed her onto a stretcher. Sergeant Torres went back out to the parking lot. He was in plain clothes, but he had his gun under his suit jacket. His eyes immediately locked on a red pickup truck crawling in his direction, Yolanda. He crept around a row of cars, crouched behind the truck, and drew his gun. Another officer pulled into the lot, Sergeant John Betts. He saw Sergeant Torres and went over to join him. Sergeant Torres got Yolanda's attention and flashed his badge and gun. He told her to put her hands where he could see them. Yolanda locked eyes with him in the rearview mirror. She looked out through the windshield and saw Selena being carried into the ambulance, still alive. It was the moment of truth. Yolanda slowly raised the pistol and pointed it at her own head. 12 p.m. The ambulance arrived at Corpus Christi Memorial Hospital and immediately wheeled Selena into the trauma room. It had been 11 minutes since she was shot. She had no vital signs. Doctors worked to reestablish a heartbeat, then began blood transfusions. The blood immediately began to spill back out through the hole in her chest. The hollow point bullet had completely ripped a major artery in half. For the past two hours, Abraham, Suzette, and A.B. Quintanilla, along with Selena's husband, Chris, had been at the recording studio across town, waiting for Selena to show up so they could get started. Abraham's phone rang. It was Memorial Hospital. They said Selena had been in an accident and he needed to get to the hospital as soon as possible. Abraham misunderstood. He hung up and told the family Selena had been in a car accident. They rushed to the hospital. 1 p.m., Sergeant Larry Young of the Corpus Christi PD's hostage negotiation team got a call about a possible hostage situation at the Days Inn Motel. An armed woman was keeping the police at bay, threatening to kill herself. He said he'd head right over. 
At that same moment, trauma room doctors were still working to revive Selena. She had been brain dead since arrival, and the damage to her circulatory system was irreparable. Selena Quintanilla was pronounced dead at 1.05 p.m. It was only 16 days before her 24th birthday. When the Quintanilla family arrived at the hospital, one of the doctors who'd been working to save Selena went out to speak to Abraham. He told him his daughter had been shot. They'd administered four units of blood and successfully restarted her heart. Abraham interrupted him. The Quintanillas were Jehovah's Witnesses. Blood transfusions were against their religious beliefs. If Selena had been conscious, she would have refused. The doctor told him it wouldn't have mattered. It was too late to save her. His daughter was dead. 1.30 p.m. The hostage negotiation team had assembled in the Days Inn parking lot. They began setting up a base a few yards away from Yolanda Saldivar's truck. Yolanda was still pointing the gun at her own head. The officers had been trying to talk her down for two hours. She kept repeating the same thing, that she'd done a bad thing to her friend and she needed to make a phone call to San Antonio. From Yolanda's perspective, she had no reason not to shoot herself. Without Selena, she was nothing. She had no job, no friends. At least if she died, she wouldn't have to live with the shame. The lead negotiator, Larry Young, knew next to nothing about that morning's shooting. His only objective was saving Yolanda's life. Yolanda had her cell phone in the truck. While the team was still setting up their secure phone line and recording equipment, Larry dialed her cell number. She answered immediately. She was crying so much it was hard to understand her. She screamed, I want to kill myself. I don't deserve to live anymore. Larry tried to calm her down. He asked about her family. They must want her to stay alive. But thinking about her family only made her more hysterical. She kept saying that she'd disgraced them. No one would ever forgive her for what she'd done, not even her mother. The other negotiators were looking up any information they could find on Yolanda. They found out that she was Catholic. They passed Larry a note that said, ask her if she believes in the Virgin of Guadalupe. Larry steered the conversation toward religion. No matter what she'd done, the Mother of Christ would protect her. God would always forgive. This finally got through to Yolanda. She stopped screaming. Larry talked fast, using every negotiation technique in the book to keep her calm. It seemed like they were finally establishing a rapport. He tried to convince her to put down the gun and get out of the car. And then the line went silent. Yolanda's cell phone battery was dead. 2 p.m. While the hostage negotiation team was swarming the days in, Abraham Quintanilla was holding an impromptu press conference at the Corpus Christi Memorial Hospital. It hadn't been an hour since he found out his daughter was dead, but someone had to address the swirling rumors. He held back his tears and put on his best business-like face. He told the reporters that a disgruntled employee, Yolanda Saldivar, had recently been fired for stealing money from the company account. He said there have been discrepancies, and they resulted in her shooting Selena. 
The shooting itself had made it to the radio almost immediately. It was the next sentence that left the press in shock. Selena Quintanilla was dead. p.m. Yolanda Saldivar was still holding a gun to her head. Shortly after her cell phone went dead, the police finished setting up their secure phone line and tossed a receiver in through her truck window. In the past two hours, the negotiators had made some progress. She'd confessed that she'd shot her friend, and she blamed it on her friend's father. She never once used Selena's name. But she did say repeatedly... Her father was responsible for this. He made me shoot her. He was going to come between us. Sergeant Larry Young told her that if she wanted to do anything about Abraham, she had to stay alive. But Yolanda couldn't face Selena and Abraham again. She cried, I don't want to be embarrassed. I don't want to live anymore. I don't have any dignity. I don't have any dignity at all. He begged her not to do it. He promised she would have dignity if she put down the gun. She deserved to be forgiven. Yolanda slowly lowered the gun. She sat still for a moment. It looked as if she was about to surrender. Just then, the two-way phone line started picking up interference from local radio stations. Yolanda asked Larry if he was broadcasting the radio through the phone. He had no idea what she was talking about. And that's when she heard it. The news of Selena's death at 23 rocked the Tejano music community. She was poised. She to hadn't over just shot Selena. She had killed Selena. Yolanda was hysterical. Larry could barely make out what she was saying. She was furious that he hadn't told her Selena was dead. Larry told her he hadn't known. He was here with her in the parking lot, not at the hospital. It probably wasn't even true, he said. You can't believe everything you hear on the radio. She just kept screaming. Thinking on his feet, one of the other officers remembered the O.J. Simpson trial was going on at the time. He scribbled another note and passed it to Larry. Larry glanced down at the note and asked Yolanda, Do you believe everything the media says about O.J.? In response, Yolanda picked up the revolver and pressed it to her temple. The phone picked up more interference. This time, it was the MASH theme song. Suicide is painless. It brings on many changes. Changes And I can take or leave it if I please. 7 p.m. Johnny Ramirez, a radio DJ for KTXN-FM, took the stage at Sunken Gardens Amphitheater in San Antonio, Texas. 5,000 people had gathered to hold a candlelight vigil for Selena Quintanilla. Ramirez hadn't even had time to prepare a speech. He stood on stage between two promotional cardboard cutouts of Selena holding Coca-Cola cans and announced that they were gathered there today because somebody stupid had a gun. Some of the mourners laughed. There were few tears, mostly shock, solemnity, and solidarity. The entire community had lost someone that day. It's so hard to believe that it happened. Somebody could take she it away from us. so many lives. We just wanted to see who was true or not. And sure enough, it is. Uh, 
can't believe it. She's gone. She was a, a very special person to the community, to the Hispanic community, as well as the, the entire community. People are, don't reflect in their songs their real life. And Selena was an exception. And Selena lived the way she sung. You know, she was very jovial. She was very happy. And you could reflect, you could see that in her song. 9.35 p.m. Hundreds of reporters, TV crews, and onlookers had gathered at the Days Inn Motel. Teenagers sang along to Selena tapes on their boomboxes. The clouds that had hung overhead all day finally broke into a light rain. Yolanda was tired. For nine and a half hours, she'd been holding a gun in one hand and a phone in the other. A SWAT team had surrounded her truck, aiming their rifles at the windows. Beyond them, the crowd was watching. They all wanted to see her dead. It would be so easy. But Sergeant Larry Young still cared about her. He wanted her to live, even if no one else did. Maybe redemption was still possible. Over the phone, Larry promised that if she put down the gun and opened the door, he'd shield her with his jacket so the reporters couldn't see her. She could surrender with a bit of her dignity still intact. There was no other way out. She was too tired to keep stalling. Yolanda slowly set down the gun and opened the door. As soon as she stepped out, she was swarmed by officers, handcuffed, and led to a police car. After nine and a half hours, the standoff was over. On the way to the station, Larry sat in the back seat with Yolanda. She laid her head on his chest and wept, begging for forgiveness. But forgiveness would be up to the courts. Up next, we'll explore Yolanda Saldivar's sensational murder trial. Now, back to the story. Thousands of Selena's fans waited in a long, spiraling line for the closed casket viewing of the Grammy Award-winning Tejano star. The tears are everywhere. Uh, you look at the faces of these people and it's just sadness. They're carrying signs that say, Selena, we love you. Cars keep driving up and down Ocean Drive here with signs and pictures of her in the windows. Their license plates are from as far away as Minnesota, Illinois, and Mexico. Tejano singer Selena was not much known outside her musical context before she was gunned down last month, but now People Magazine is dedicating the third commemorative issue in its 21-year history to Selena. She'll also be on the cover of the May issue of Texas Monthly. The only other commemorative issues of people were printed in honor of Audrey Hepburn and Jacqueline Onassis. Selena is described as the Madonna of the Tejano music world. She was preparing an English record to cross over to mainstream music. John Ortiz is with EMI Latin, Selena's San Antonio-based record label. I, I don't think anything more tragic could have happened than this. Uh, right now we're simply in shock, in disbelief. Um, this is one of those events that you're waiting for somebody to come and tell you it's not true, you know, or wake you up. Tejano singer and producer Michael Morales says Selena was the idol of millions of fans throughout the Americas. He says her unique style will never be replaced. Before she was killed, Selena Quintanilla was an icon within the Mexican-American community. Within 12 hours of her death, she was a household name across the entire world. Every major TV network in the U.S. interrupted their programming to report the news. That night, it was the leading story on BBC World News, 
Univision, Telemundo, and news networks as far off as Japan. On April 1st, Selena's death was reported on the front page of the New York Times. On April 2nd, Selena's death was reported on the front page of the New York Times again. At 9 o'clock that morning, the doors opened for Selena's closed casket memorial at the convention center in Corpus Christi. The marquee outside read, Selena Silent Prayer Service, 7.30 to 11 p.m., Gun Show, April 8th and 9th. Over 75,000 fans lined up to pay their respects. By late afternoon, a rumor started circulating that the casket was empty and Selena wasn't dead at all. At about 8 p.m., the casket was opened to end the gossip. Inside, the 23-year-old star laid in peace, clutching a single rose in her hands. She was wearing the same purple outfit she'd worn at the Tejano Music Awards just a month earlier. April 3rd, Yolanda Saldivar pleads not guilty to first-degree murder. Just two hours after her arrest, she had signed a confession admitting that she took the gun from her purse, pulled the hammer back, and shot at Selena. Now she claimed the shooting was accidental. The gun had gone off by itself. Her bail was set at $500,000. She would await trial at the Nueces County Jail in Corpus Christi, where the reigning prison gang, the Mexican Mafia, was rumored to be plotting her murder. On the outside, local gang members were taking up a collection to post Yolanda's bond. They planned to kill her as soon as she walked out of the jail. Even the most unsavory elements of the South Texas community were devoted fans of Selena. At 10 a.m. that same day, 600 guests were invited to Selena's burial. Without the family's permission, the services were broadcast live by radio and TV stations camping outside the cemetery. Among the guests were Ram Herrera and Emilio Navira, both award-winning Tejano singers and, coincidentally, former high school classmates of Yolanda Saldivar. As the mourners filed past, they placed white roses on top of the casket, 8,000 flowers in total. A Jehovah's Witness minister from Selena's hometown of Lake Jackson delivered a message of hope. The flower stood here, rooted, facing the weather's full fury. Now here it is, still intact, bowed but unbroken, showing strength that belies the delicacy of its appearance. It was hard to hear him over the two news choppers hovering over the cemetery. Abraham muttered that he wished he had a bazooka. April 15th, Selena's song, Fotos y Recuerdos, peaks at number one on the Billboard Hot Latin chart. In the past two weeks, Selena's label, EMI Latin, had shipped out 500,000 copies of her albums, but stores were still selling out. Selena would have turned 24 Sunday. Texas Governor George Bush has proclaimed it Selena Day in his state. Music by the slain Tejano star has risen on the Billboard charts since her death. April 16th. Fans flocked to Selena's grave in Corpus Christi to commemorate what would have been her 24th birthday. 3,000 people gathered across town at Johnnyland Concert Park for a Requiem Mass in her honor. 
Some of the state's white citizens weren't feeling so moved. Many of them had never even heard of Selena until now. Letters poured into newspapers across Texas, complaining that Selena Day was the same day as Easter Sunday. Radio host Howard Stern mocked the mourners on his nationwide show, saying that Spanish people have the worst taste in music and Selena's fans live in refrigerator boxes, like to make love to a goat and eat beans. The comments sparked so much outrage that a Texas judge charged him with disturbing the peace and issued a warrant for his arrest. Stern outraged many Hispanics by mocking Selena's morning fans. He also played one of her songs with mock gunfire in the background. Selena was fatally shot on March 31st, allegedly by the former president of her fan club. Cano says his warrant could be served if Stern sets foot in Texas. He uh, had his day in his radio show and, and said what he said. And I have provided him now a day in court. There was so much backlash from advertisers, Howard Stern issued an apology in Spanish. Mis comentarios sobre la trágica muerte de Selena, sin duda, no fueron hechos con la intención de causar aún más angustia a su familia, amigas y a aquellas personas que la querían. Quote, My comments about the tragic death of Selena, without a doubt, were not made with the intention of causing even more distress to her family, friends, or those who loved her. End quote. The statement only earned him more backlash. The spokesman for the League of United Latin American Citizens responded, The man obviously doesn't know that most of the Hispanics also speak English, uh, did a poor job with the language, never said, I'm sorry. He really explained what he did, but never said, I'm sorry for saying what I did. Through her music, Selena had tried to bridge the gap between Mexican and Anglo-American culture and bring Tejano into the mainstream. In death, she finally succeeded. During those first couple weeks, Anglo-Americans were mystified, asking each other, who's Selena? But by the end of the month, no one had to ask again. Her name was recognized throughout the country. On July 18, 1995, the album Selena had been working on before her death, Dreaming of You, was released. It sold 175,000 copies within the first day, a record number for a female artist at the time. It was the first album by a Latino artist to debut at number one on the Billboard 200 chart. After Selena, Tejano music floundered. No other Tejano artist was able to match her mainstream popularity, and over time, the genre faded into obscurity, while other types of Latin pop and dance music rose to prominence. The world was left to wonder what place Selena would have in the Latin pop world if she hadn't been murdered in her prime. Yolanda Saldivar, former president of the Selena Fan Club, faces a murder charge in State District Judge Mike Westergren's court. Saldivar, who was indicted by an Oasis County Grand Jury last week, is accused of shooting Selena on March 31st at a budget hotel here in Corpus Christi. Her attorney, Doug Tinker, says he has no plans to try to lower her $500,000 bond. Yolanda Saldivar's trial began on October 11th in Houston, Texas, 
The judge banned cameras and tape recorders from the courtroom to avoid a repeat of the O.J. Simpson circus, which had just ended the previous week. Instead, the reporters just congregated outside. Yolanda's worst fears had come true. Her trial was called the O.J. Simpson trial for Hispanics, and she had even less supporters than O.J. A mob of fans swarmed the courthouse steps, some of them wearing the same Selena t-shirts Yolanda had mailed them just a few years earlier. A group had gathered on the sidewalk, throwing arrows at a photo of Yolanda's face. Every time someone landed a bullseye on her nose, they would all yell, it was an accident. Inside, Yolanda's attorney, Doug Tinker, pulled out every trick in the book to convince the jury that the shooting was an accident. Tinker was one of the best defense attorneys in Texas with a reputation for taking on difficult and highly publicized cases. No public defenders were willing to take on the case, so the court appointed Tinker. He was never afraid of a little controversy. And O.J.'s acquittal the week before had only emboldened him. Tinker's opening statement was a wild tale about a manipulative, controlling man named Abraham Quintanilla. Yolanda had tried to help Selena escape the clutches of her overbearing father, and in return, Abraham threatened and intimidated her to the brink of madness. The entire Quintanilla family was sitting behind the prosecution. Abraham was wearing dark sunglasses, shaking his head in disbelief. On the other side of the courtroom, Yolanda sat stoically behind the defense table. Her mother Juanita and sister Maria Elida were right behind her. As the attorney spoke, Juanita bowed her head and prayed under her breath. After about half an hour, Tinker's story finally made it to the murder in question. It seemed like he was trying to make a case for temporary insanity. But instead, he claimed that Yolanda had pulled out the gun to shoot herself. It was a complete accident that it misfired in Selena's direction. It was a convoluted story, and it contradicted nearly all of the evidence that was about to be presented. But he told it so well that the jury hung on every word. At about the 35-minute mark, Tinker boldly asked that his client be acquitted, then took his seat. Over the next 12 days, the prosecution called 45 witnesses to make their case that Yolanda had embezzled over $30,000, bought a gun, lured Selena to her motel, and willfully shot her in the back. The defense did their best to poke holes in the witnesses' credibility. Tinker tried to have Yolanda's signed confession thrown out, the one where she had admitted to aiming the gun, pulling back the hammer, and shooting Selena without ever mentioning the word accident. It didn't work. During the second week, the jury heard five and a half hours of taped conversations between Yolanda and the hostage negotiation team. Yolanda's voice rang through the courtroom, sobbing and pleading for forgiveness. As the tapes played, tears rolled down Yolanda's cheeks. She was reliving the most desperate moments of her life in a packed courtroom full of people. At one point in the nine-hour standoff, Sergeant Larry Young had stepped out and handed the phone to another negotiator. For a full 30 minutes, Yolanda cried and wailed, Where's Larry? 
Where's Larry? Larry! At first, it was heart-wrenching. After five minutes, it was irritating. And after the 20-minute mark, it was darkly funny. The next morning, people outside the courthouse were selling t-shirts and buttons that said, Where's Larry? Just as she'd feared, Yolanda had lost her dignity. She'd become a laughingstock. October 23, 1995, 3.55 p.m. After two weeks of testimony and only two hours of deliberation, the jury reached a verdict. Yolanda Saldivar was found guilty of first-degree murder. She was sentenced to life in prison. Yolanda collapsed into tears. She quietly told the lawyer next to her that she should have just killed herself. Yolanda's parents were sitting in the row right behind her. Before the bailiff led her off, she reached over the rail and hugged them goodbye. Thousands of fans and reporters were gathered outside the courthouse. Some of them sang and danced to Selena's music. Some of them waved banners that said, hang the witch or kill Yolanda. The prosecutor, Carlos Valdez, and Yolanda's lawyer, Doug Tinker, both came out to greet the crowd and sign autographs. Everybody loved them. Valdez for winning his case, Tinker for losing his. The crowd cheered in Yolanda's face as she made her way out to the police car. This is the last thing she would ever see outside the prison's walls. Thousands of people screaming her name, not out of love, but out of hatred. She was 35 years old. She'd be spending the rest of her life behind bars, thinking about what she'd done to Selena, to herself, to all the people of Texas. As the police car drove away, she took one last look out the window at the frenzied mess she had created. It didn't have to be like this. If she hadn't fired the gun, if Selena hadn't confronted her, if she hadn't stolen the money, if she hadn't started the fan club in the first place, it all could have been so much different. Coming up, we'll look at what the world might have been like if Yolanda Saldivar hadn't killed Selena. Now, back to the story. One death can change the world. What might have happened if Selena Quintanilla hadn't been killed on March 31, 1995? Let's look at another scenario, one where Selena's assassination had been prevented. On the morning of March 31st, Selena visits Yolanda Saldivar at the Days Inn Motel. Yolanda hands over the missing bank documents, and Selena makes it to the studio for her 10 a.m. recording session. Yolanda goes home to San Antonio, returns her gun, and settles down into another nursing job. The crisis is averted. By that summer, Selena finishes recording her fifth album, Dreaming of You, without a hitch. The record was poised to be her crossover into the English-language pop market. Only four of its planned 14 tracks had been recorded before she died. So instead, the record was patched together into a tribute album of new songs, old hits, and remixes. 
If she'd lived to see it through, it could have been her best album yet. Without the media buzz surrounding Selena's death, Dreaming of You may not have rocketed to the top of the Billboard 200 overnight. It may not have become the best-selling Latin album of all time. But the music itself might have been enough to make Selena a household name. Not as a murdered martyr, but as a breakout performer. Selena was at the top of her game in 1995. According to music journalist Joe Nick Patowski, had she lived, she would have had a far larger career and impact beyond being the queen of Tejano, easily on a level of Madonna, Jennifer Lopez, Gloria Stefan, or Gloria Trevi, probably bigger. She was credited with taking Tejano music to new heights, melding genres together into her own unique style. If she had lived to keep innovating, she wouldn't have dominated the charts for months. She could have dominated them for years, securing Latin music's place in the mainstream pop world. In 1994, Selena had won a Grammy for Best Mexican American Album. In 1996, she could have been nominated for the much wider category of Best Pop Album alongside Joni Mitchell, Mariah Carey, and Madonna. The barriers Selena broke helped other Latina stars like Jennifer Lopez and Shakira break into the mainstream. In fact, being cast in a 1997 movie about Selena's life was what launched J.Lo's career. That effect could have been amplified if Selena were there to help pull other artists up alongside her. The so-called Latin invasion of the late 90s and early 2000s would have been an even stronger force with an international star like Selena heading it up. By 2001, Selena would have been 30. She'd always said she wanted to be a mother, so she might have taken a break from touring to spend some time at home and start a family. Or she might have kept working, bringing her kids along on the tour bus, the same as her family had done when she was a child. There's no way of knowing what her life and career may have looked like if it hadn't been cut so short. But she may have followed the path of other 90s pop icons like Christina Aguilera and Gwen Stefani. Like those other stars, as Selena reached her late 30s and 40s, she might have crossed over into acting, announced a residency in Las Vegas, or become a judge on a reality competition show. Today, Selena would be 47 years old. Although her popularity might have faded over the years, she'd still be respected as a cultural icon. Even before 1995, She'd proven that being a female Mexican-American artist wouldn't stop her from reaching widespread appeal. How different is the world at large because of Selena? We point to record sales, chart positions, and award wins as indicators of success. But the cultural impact of music can't be measured in numbers. When Selena died in 1995, she became an icon of both youth and mortality, boundless potential and unfair circumstances. She was evidence that no goal was impossible and a harrowing reminder that violence can affect anyone. If she had lived, her legacy wouldn't be tinged with that tragedy. Today, 
she would still be standing as a role model to Latina girls, living proof that they can forge their own way in the world without neglecting either the Latin or the American side of their heritage. How many more lives would she have touched? What would they have gone on to achieve because of her? Because of Yolanda Saldivar, we'll never know for sure. Whatever motivated Yolanda's actions, be it revenge, hatred, love, or shame, she only succeeded in ending a promising young life and ruining her own life in the process. Yolanda is up for parole in 2025 when she'll be 65 years old. She believed the world would never forgive her for what she'd done, and she may have been right. The parole board may not decide to give her a second chance. If she does walk free, she'll have the last years of her life to make amends with the Quintanilla family. But to history, she'll always be remembered as an assassin. Thanks for listening to Assassinations. If you're looking for more episodes or other stories of murder and crime, you can find us as well as all of ParCast's other podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, CastBox, TuneIn, or your favorite podcast directory. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram as at ParCast and on Twitter at ParCast Network. See you next Monday. Assassinations was created by Max Cutler, is a production of Cutler Media, and is part of the ParCast Network. It is produced by Max and Ron Cutler, sound designed by Ron Shapiro, with production assistance by Paul Mahler. Additional production assistance by Carly Madden and Maggie Admire. Assassinations is written by Kate Gallagher and stars Kate Leonard and Bill Thomas. <laughs>